I am Hannah Wheeler. I am a copywriter and translator from Dutch and Flemish into English. Words are magical little puzzle pieces. Hi, welcome to the Writer's Rotation podcast. I'm your host, Kathy Stamps. I love words and writing and people and talking. So I'm talking to people who write all kinds of things in different professions. It's a writer's rotation. Hey there, how are you? Hi. I want to know everything about Dutch. Oh, I wish I knew everything about Dutch, but I'm happy to start somewhere. (laughs) So I am, I'm a Canadian and my mom is from Belgium. So I am also a Belgian. My family moved to Belgium when I was six or seven years old. So when I was about to start second grade, like fully immersed in my second language. Wow. They speak French also? They do. Yeah. I do not speak it well. Both of the countries I am from have French as one of the official languages. I've got notions of French, but I'm not a good speaker of French, unfortunately. But Dutch. Dutch, I know. That's so cool. How long did you live in the Netherlands? In Belgium. Oh, in Belgium. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. In Belgium, I lived for probably 23 years before moving back to Canada. Yeah. We're talking about almost half my life at this point. So, yeah. And are they immersed in English as well in school? Not in in an immersion kind of setting, but English is a pretty prominent language in both the Netherlands and in Belgium, I would say, um, because it's such a small language on a global scale. Most of the media or a lot of the media brought in from other countries is subtitled rather than dubbed, which happens in larger language groups. There's a lot of dubbing. It's an expensive process versus subtitling. Right. Voice actors versus yeah, keyboard. Exactly. So a lot of shows and a lot of movies coming in from, you know, anywhere, the UK, Australia, the US, Canada will be subtitled versus dubbed, which means we're hearing a lot of English all the time over there. Okay. I mean, I had my English already when I moved away, but so many people there speak English quite well and can have like fluent conversations in English, which is pretty cool and not something we know as well in North America with any other languages. That's cool. We know English is pretty dominant force in the world. So. And even more so, I think, in Belgium and in the Netherlands, for sure. Where'd you go to school? I started school in a very small town uh, where my mom grew up and then I grew up and my grandparents grew up. Everyone was from there. I did my post-secondary in Brussels. I went to film school. So I spent four years studying film and, you know, multimedia and uh, television and TV production and script writing and all of these things. So that is where I started out before entering the the real world. From Hollywood via Europe. (laughs) Yeah, that was it. Yeah, I studied these things. And then I kind of rolled into I was really into music and music videos. I am like a child of or like a teen of the 90s. MTV and super cool bands and music videos were everywhere for me. It was on my mind all the time. And I would go home and record them and watch them over and over and music and live music. So I when I started out, I really wanted to get into like multi camera television, like concert recordings and that kind of thing. And I did that for a while. It was very cool. I worked at a music television channel in Belgium for about six years and got to do all of those things. Like we interviewed bands and I did some multi-camera directing and 
all of that behind the scenes stuff. I wasn't very tech. I was a little more of the like conceptual, like producer, directing some script stuff. I coached some of the in three precisely. And I, from what I've heard, you have a bit of a like a media background as well. Was it radio or TV? Radio. So in audio, you have to say three, two, one, because nobody can see your fingers if you just count down the three, two. <laughs> but when somebody's in your ear, mm-hmm. you learn to nod instead of saying, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, because you don't want an audience to hear that. Just nod. Eyebrows and nodding. Just nodding. I don't know how people do both go back and forth from radio to TV. It's a very different. Yeah, I've never done radio. It is a very different medium. How did you get into translating? That is a great question. And this is what you do? Or it's one of the things you do? It is one of the things that I do. It is the thing I would love to do more of. It is to cut the story fairly short. When I stopped working in television, I did a bunch of different things. And one of them was starting to write, like do copywriting and do kind of social media writing for a friend who had a writing agency at the time. She needed to subcontract some work. And so that's kind of how I slipped into writing. It had always been a pretty big part of my job, writing and communicating and using words in that way. So I I slipped into freelancing a little bit by accident. And it kind of worked out that way into quite a bit of writing and working in marketing. And while I was doing that, I found a Dutch client or two that needed translation work done. And so I started translating, you know, a blog post and a bit of a website or just like small things because I had a like, full-time occupation. I was kind of doing other things full-time. So whatever I could kind of fit in, and I really liked it. (laughs) For me, I think is the sweet spot between like still being able to play around with words and do like kind of nerdy word puzzles and what's the best way to say this. And I'm sure some writers and copywriters can relate not have the agony of a fully blank page in front of you. (laughs) Mm, mm -hmm. So you're kind of starting from somewhere already, which I quite like. And that's how I started translating, I suppose. Have you had an industry that you just know nothing about? And where do you start with those words? I mean, absolutely. Uh, The internet is your friend. Google is great. Google Translate. Google Translate is sometimes also great. I always go backward. Yes. Yeah. If I look up something in another language, then I reverse it and make sure that it... Yes. Reverse it. Look for synonyms. I think a lot of it is that. Looking for things in context. Like, okay, I found this word, but is it actually coming up in articles or websites about this topic? Because if it isn't, it's probably not the right word. So there's a lot of like (laughs) investigative Googling going on. when we're doing that kind of thing. So I think that aspect of it is really neat for me too. I I like a good deep dive. Oh, you know what I think would be so fascinating would be poetry Mm. with the syllables. Yes. How would you do that and do anything justice? Right? I wish I knew the answer to that yet. It feels a little early. I haven't dared touch poetry yet. I've done some, not published, but I've done some translation work for a publisher in Belgium, one piece of which was like a children's picture book. 
it wasn't a fully rhymed picture because often they are. And I think that is a big challenge, but it did have kind of some poetic use of words. It had some neat alliteration and cute rhythmic word things that like, how do you translate those? And that was a cool puzzle to work on. But yeah, poetry sounds like an intense endeavor. Poetry and songs, like, Ooh, yeah. yeah. And I think that's when you go, like translation is, is like an interpretation of things. It's not always literal. It's frequently not literal. But with poetry, I think you have to find probably a comfort zone of like how far you're straying from the source material. Are you conveying the straight message? Are you conveying the mood? Are you conveying the rhythm? Are you trying to match number of words and syllable? It's, Mm. yeah, I'm very fascinated. And I would love to talk to someone who has translated some poetry and get a bit of a gist of how that looks. Because I, yeah, that sounds extremely challenging. I don't think I have the guts for that yet. Wow. So the blog posts that you translate would be in what different retail, different businesses? Yeah, some retail, some cert, like service-based. One of my clients right now is actually mostly copywriting, but it is a Belgian company. And so our being able to communicate in Dutch when I'm writing English for them is, it is really helpful because they're able to really convey what they need me to do and I can take it and run with it. They're in like shipping logistics world, which is not a world that I'm very familiar with. So that's when you're having deep conversations with clients. Okay, explain to me exactly what you do. Right. (laughs) As if I'm a five-year-old and then I will try to translate it or like rephrase it up again to words that grown-ups understand. (laughs) Yes. And it's always, who's going to be reading this? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Is it? the public or the insiders. Exactly. And that's challenging. I think that was a really interesting exercise as well. So last year, and when we met in Cave Day, I was working on book translation, and I was translating a romance novel, which is a whole other category from shipping logistics. (laughs) Believe it or not. Please don't confuse those two. (laughs) No, never, never. And that is an interesting one too because you're and and for any book but this one in particular you uh, I don't know if you're a romance reader I am yes you want to not be thinking when you're reading you dive into a romance novel and you shut your brain off you're just in the story you don't want to go wait what did they mean or I don't understand that reference it's got to be smooth smooth reading would Dutch have more words or fewer words I end up with a pretty close word count by the end of something. Yeah. On one of the books I did last year, I checked across about, you know, 60,000 words. It was a shorter novel. I think there was, we were off by like 500 words or so. I think a little more in English than, okay, because I had to explain a few things here and there that you would know if you were reading the Dutch. Sometimes you have to add in a little bit of an explainer in, a, in as smooth a way as possible so that people don't have to remove themselves from the story. What about English to Dutch? Does your brain have to do way different things or slightly different things? This is interesting because I don't write in Dutch as often. English is my working language day to day living in Canada. If I'd started doing this 10 years ago, I probably would have translated in both directions, I think. But because I don't use my Dutch day to day, like speaking and writing, I kind of translate in only to my like mother tongue to English, even though I picked up my Dutch at a very young age. It's just not currently my working language. 
And I feel like if I moved back to Belgium at any point, I have no intention to, but it could happen. You never know. That might change because I'd be like way more immersed in it on a day-to-day basis. Do they really have good chocolate? Oh gosh, yes. And you don't need the fancy one. You can just go to the supermarket and get the supermarket chocolate. It's mm, Is it delicious. Really? Yeah. That's my hot tip. If you're a tourist in Belgium, just go get your chocolate at the supermarket. <laughs> There's a whole aisle. <laughs> That's awesome. So what else do you do besides translating? A bit of copywriting, a bit of walking my dog, not professionally. Having a dog and also having a brain with so much ADHD. Audiobooks are actually my go-to, which is funny because I work like with written word, but I listen to like spoken word most of the time when reading books. It combines well with walking the dog. I listen at 2x. Do you really? Yes. That's so fast. Is it? Yeah. I tried two and a half and three and then I was like, "Mm, no. And it depends. It Mm -hmm. depends on the narrator. That's true. One and a half. But I like even numbers better than odd numbers. So I might do 1.6 mm. or 1.4. is pretty fast. Is that because you're trying to get through it or that's your comfort listening speed? Um, both. And I guess you get, you train your brain to listen to that speed too. Yes. The audiobooks were honestly such a, for me, a mood booster, especially during the pandemic. That's actually when I went really hard into romance. It was like, I just want something that's lovely to listen to. I don't want frightening things. I don't want things that worry me. I just want a formula. I know what's going to happen in the end. I don't know how they're going to get there. That's always the fun part. You know you know exactly what's going to happen. And then you see the tropes as they come up. You're like, yes, perfect. I love when they realize they're stuck in a storm and there's only one hotel room left. This is perfect. It's that kind of... <laughs> and I do love a good Hallmark Christmas movie. Exactly. Do you know many times I don't even watch the ending? Oh, because you know what's going to happen. Duh. (laughs) That's so funny. Now, have you tried your hand at romance novel story? That is such a great question. So I think I've come to realize a little bit. This is going to sound so me. Anyway, let me just say it and you tell me if it sounds awful or not. I feel like I'm a writer who isn't a writer. Ooh, okay. I don't have a brain full of stories and... I feel like a lot of the writers that I love and love reading are just like brimming with like, this is the next story. And I've got five next stories after that lined up and my brain doesn't work that way. So I like the writing, but I like knowing what I'm going to be writing. And so that's, I think, where the translation pops in, in this, like it gives me a framework. Oh, okay. Honestly, the same a little bit with copywriting for clients is like the framework is there. You know what's needed. It needs to be a blog post. It needs to be about this. And it just kind of helps me rein in. Yeah. I would love to try it one day if I had like, this is the best idea I've ever had. But I just, I'm so in awe of people who are so creative and brimming with stories that I just, I don't know if that's in my brain. Or Or maybe I haven't given myself the time to tap into it. So it's, this still gives me the joy of writing. I think you would do well with a little prompt workshop. Probably. I'm so intimidated by a blank page or like, or distracted. I'm like, anything else is more interesting than this blank page in front of me. Let me go do the dishes and like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So having a prompt is always helpful to get the brain flowing. What is your sweet spot for blog post length? 
word count? Oh, I like shorter. 300. Yeah, like three to six, kind of eight at most. I think anything that gets longer than that, I I lose interest, even if it's a topic I find interesting, (laughs) which is so rude. Like lots of people will read longer things, especially if it's in their field. But my brain attention span is limited. (laughs) I think that's also why I liked and still do. I like so much more writing social media captions and things like that. It's just, again, we're talking about it's kind of prompt based, like, you know, exactly what needs to be in there. It doesn't need to be very long. You can toss in some emojis. (laughs) Not a very writerly thing to say, but I like a good emoji in the right place and time. And what about headlines and subheads? Yeah. Do those come easily to you? Those kind of shorter pieces, I find I can be more creative with them. Yeah. I need to remind myself I don't need them to start with always. And I often think I do. They're kind of always last. I know. Something about the way my brain works is like, I need to know what it is first. And then I'll start. And then I'll often go back and change it. Headlines are just the bane of my existence. Oh, really? What was the struggle, do you think? I don't know. I like to meander and then I can tighten it up. Mm -hmm. But to me, a headline says everything in as few words as possible. And yeah, I mean, I like a good pun. I can get away with that. Sure. Not all clients like a good pun is the problem. No. But I will tell you when I wrote and still write magazine articles, 9.9 times out of 10, the headline I come up with is not used. Editors come up with the headlines. That's true. When we complain about all the clickbait, we're like, don't blame the writers, don't blame the writers. I want to say, and this feels related to this topic, one of my favorite pieces of feedback I ever had, and I cannot explain to you why I remember this, this was in high school on a history test, an open book test. My history teacher wrote in Dutch, but I can translate it into English. He wrote that I was the queen of the brief summary. You should go into copywriting. Right? And headlines, maybe. I had somehow, I don't remember what the topic was, but I had somehow distilled the exact gist of what he was trying to know about this piece of history into the paragraph or whatever I had available. There was a fight. So-and-so won. Right? (laughs) Yeah. The queen of the brief summary. That's cool. I feel like I should put that on my website, actually. Maybe I'll... Yes. Or on my LinkedIn or both. (laughs) It's not funny how things, weird, like random things will stick with you over time. This is a long time ago. We are who we are. Yes. We are now who we were. Yeah. But yeah, I think it was such a specifically weird piece of feedback. Or praise, I suppose. And yeah, I will carry that with me. It means a lot. That's so cool. Where are you with AI? Oh, I'm a little bit scared of it, to be honest. Not in a like job-threatening way, although I think it will change so many things as we go. I just, I'm a little bit fearful about all of our understanding of the world. Mm. I do find it worrying and it's going to be harder and harder to distinguish what is funky and what is real. Like here's a quote from this real person who'd never spoke of this topic ever before in their life. And it's presented as if it's a real thing. Yeah. 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 And those are things that at this point are easy to fact check still. But this is where I worry is that at some point everything is going to be muddy and there's no way to know 
real from unreal. And also everything's just going to get so boring. Right. But I think maybe we're circling back to Little House on the Prairie too, in so many different ways. And one of them will be, well, the world is at our fingertips. We can know everything. But then if we can't know everything, we're just going to go back to our little farm, our little apartment, order our groceries and read our read our romance novels and audiobook. Yeah. So here's something interesting, actually, about AI. And it's a conversation that I've just even seen the last couple of days pop up among like colleague translators on LinkedIn, is that it seems like, and I haven't dug in to investigate, but it seems like AI has auto-opted people in to see a translated version of something that is not originally written in their language that they understand. So let's say a Danish translator is posting something on LinkedIn in Danish, I would see it in AI translated English. It wouldn't be me going, hey, I'd like to see the translation of this. It's just what would show up. And so for people, not just translators, but anyone who cares about their messaging and the like, not just the information behind it, but the way something is shared and the way something is said and presented, that's really worrying too. Are my Dutch clients seeing my English posts in like really funky Dutch? Because that's not cool. (laughs) That's not okay at all. The accessibility factor is huge. Of course, I want people to be able to read something that I wrote in a different language if it's not their language. But I want them to know that what they're reading is not exactly the way I wrote it. So the way Facebook has like see original or like translate this post, it doesn't seem that LinkedIn is doing it that way. And it just it's causing a little concern. And again, this is early days. Maybe this is something they're experimenting with. Translation is a thing. Taking a translation of anything, any work, present or past, and saying, yeah, here's the exact translation. Not just translators, but marketers or like anyone who values the thought that they put behind their message in crafting the exact thing they wanted to say for it to just pop up in a random, here's also a version of it. It's just not cool. (laughs) It's a craft. Oh, totally. It's not simply a one-to-one exercise, right? Like, it's not just like these words equal these words. Here's the message. That's fine if you're trying to figure out how to buy bread in a country you've never been to before where you don't speak the language. Sure, toss it in Google Translate. It's such a great tool for those kinds of things. Yes. But if you're trying to, like I said, somewhere where the messaging is so thoughtfully crafted, an author's work, a poet's work, and translate not just word for word, but help people in a completely different language and a completely different culture understand the significance of it. It takes so much more skill than what a machine is going to spit out for you. Yeah, the machine will give you the summary of the story. And I'm like, that's not why I'm reading the book. I don't want to read the book because I needed the summary of the story. I want to read the book because of the experience of reading the book. Yes. Which is coming full circle to romance. It doesn't matter that I know what the ending is like. I'm going to enjoy the journey of reading this book. That is the purpose of it. And sure, maybe the ending will surprise me once in a while. But usually we know what's going to happen in that setting. Yes. The accessibility of having this automated translation and these tools is so great that that exists but it's not meant for marketing messages it is not meant for like works of the heart it's not meant for that 
I can't imagine it ever will be. A robot is not a human. It takes a human to understand another human. Yeah. I don't think the robots are going to catch up with us on that, to be honest. Works of the heart. I love that. Thank you so much. Of course. That was really fun. I forgot we were recording a podcast in the middle of it all. We were just chatting. Oh, say something in Dutch. Hallo allemaal. Dankjewel om uh, hier te zijn. En dankjewel voor het luisteren naar deze podcast van Kathy. I thanks everyone for being here and listening to your podcast. That is so cool. All right. Well, have a good one. Bye, Kathy. Thanks. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writer's Rotation. Like and subscribe for more. And remember, writing is a marketable skill. Smiling is a remarkable skill. <laughs>